I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. And uh, hey, that's our new intro song. For uh, for those of you not familiar, that's uh, that's Murray Porter in uh, his song from his CD Stand Up, and that's called uh, No More. So I, I thought it was a little bit more appropriate for a Resistance Radio program to. Uh, not that, that we're not going to sing the blues here. We're this is a this is a show about resistance. So uh, I figured it was time to update our intro song. So that's what we got. Um, it is National Native American Heritage Month. I, I sometimes sarcastically call it our special month. Um, and, and I really do mean it sarcastically because, you, uh, you know, the crazy part about right now, the two stories that are beating the media at this point are the uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, the movie. Um, again, a movie produced by, uh, you know, by A-list white actors and, uh, and an A-list white um, director about a Native tragedy. Um, and, of course, the other story that's in the news is the outing of Buffy St. Marie, otherwise known as Santa Maria, I- ironically. Um, and so we got to talk about those thing, two things. And, I, and I've got a guest joining me this week. But first, before I get to my guest, let me, let me uh, remind people that, look, we are listener-supported radio. We count on your contributions for both WBAI and WPFW. So let me come right out of the gate and ask you to make a donation to WBAI. You can do that by calling the pledge line, which is 212-209-2950, or going online to give to WBAI.org. Um, make a donation of any size, become a BAI buddy, uh, which is a sustaining member of the station. Do what you can to support the station and do what you can to do it in the name of this radio show. And I'd greatly appreciate it. If you're listening in, um, in Washington, DC on WPFW, then go to their pledge line, which is 202-588-9739 or go on their webpage, which is WPFWFM.org. Uh, you can go to the donate button or, or just type in slash donate after the uh, after their uh, their, their URL. Uh, make a donation to to both stations. Um, I greatly appreciate this voice and the voices I bring to this program, um, making it to the airways of New York City and Washington D.C. Two of the you know most important, and it's not to diminish any other uh, listening audience or any other region, but we know from from a New York state standpoint, the powers that be are in New York city. We all know from a federal standpoint, the powers that be are in Washington, DC. So from, from a resistance standpoint, we need our voices to be heard in, in New York and in Washington. And uh, I appreciate WBAI and WPFW giving me the platform to do so. All right. So let me go ahead and introduce my guest. My guest is professor. And this is the first time I've called him that directly. <laughs> 
Professor Justin Schapp, who is, you know, frankly, a guy that I've known for a long time. We've been friends for a long time. Uh, sometimes we don't always agree, but um, we are on the same side. Justin is uh, is Seneca. He has worked for the Seneca Nation government, uh, and now he's uh, now he's a professor of, I, I believe it's Native American Studies at St. Bonaventure University. Is that correct, Justin? Yeah, that's right. All right. Um, we are we're trying to build a program here at St. Bonaventure is right next to uh, the Seneca Nation's Allegheny Territory. And everybody might know St. Bonaventure because I got a really good basketball team. You, you notice them in March Madness when you're deciding, who am I going to pick here? Um, but yeah, we're that school, we're that university. All right. So, I, you know, look, there's a lot of things that you and I can talk about. And, and we're, we're going to come out of the gate. Um, you actually asked me, you said, you got to have me on yeah. so, we can talk, so we can talk about pretendians. So, so yeah, let me. So I ran into you at the Cataraugus Fall Fest, and, and I, I was, I'm always uh, photobombing everybody or getting selfies with everybody, just trying to get them to smile and have a good time. And, and I came in here, I was like, let's, let's talk about uh, pretendianism. And then, and uh, this is way before Buffy. And I was like, get me on your show. And sure enough, it, it, I just, I guess I just had a good feeling that this was going to become an issue. Well, and look, I'm going to say right out of the gate, this is not one of my um, primary crusades. Um, I say that uh, <laughs> sure. I, I say that for a variety of reasons, and part of it is my concern that what is really needed work, which is to flesh out these people who are who are really exploiting Native people, can sometimes turn into a bit of a witch hunt. And I think you know what I'm talking about. I've seen um, the Jackie Keeler's list, for instance, and there's some some of the people that he, she puts on that list kind of disturb me. And Jackie Keeler is, is a is a journalist who has kind of dedicated a good portion of her life to this. She used to be prominent in the mascot debate, but now she's shifted a lot of her okay. attention towards this. And and she takes the attitude that if I put you on the list, we're not necessarily saying that you're a pretendian, but we're putting you on notice that we're <laughs> like somehow you've got to prove that you're not. And I and I have a bit of a problem with that. Um, I don't well, know. Let's talk about it because I, I I think that that's a fair assessment. And as a matter of fact, she she openly talks about it. She's she doesn't shy away from anything that you're saying. As a matter of fact, she critiques herself and says that that's that's a fair that's a fair uh, way um, and and fair treatment of the work that she's just continuing. By the way, this isn't something that she took on um, by herself. This is stuff that um, she's. Um, she's from multiple nations, like her, her background and her, her ancestry and, and uh, where she lives and grew up and all of her circles are from all these different nations from the Southwest and in the Midwest. I think and, her husband's from six nations um, as well. Yeah. So she's got all these really amazing connections. And so people are just talking about it. And it just seems like she's like this, she's the lightning rod for it. And she's willing to just say it cause she's a journalist first and she's willing to say, Hey, this is a, uh, um, as we explore these things that these small teas, these small truths, how do we how do we get beyond the, just talking about it and getting to some action and some real exposure and some some wave that people can can uh, uh, figure out how to actually do this? Now, I'll t I'll tell you the story um, from from my understanding is some of the people that she works with are people who used to be something called plain Indians. So there's a couple different things that I want to kind of flesh out here. Uh, one people people kind of play at being Indian, meaning that they have this odd sense that they're native. It, it might be in a mythological ancestry story from their grandma who said, "My 
my grandma was a Cherokee princess. That's, that's what we tend to get these things. And then on the weekends, they go and they kind of go to powwows and they, 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 you know, they go home and they put some war paint on or something. And they dance around their kitchen. And it's kind of like Dances with Wills. Remember that scene where, that, where uh, uh, Kevin Costner's dancing around the fire and he's poking at it and he's, he's kind of doing his own his own dance. That's the plain Indian side. You're right? in, you're in, you do the dance. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're doing it. Right. You're, you're performing and you're, and you're, you're you want to be Indian. And, and, and a lot of people like, I think that that's fair. If you want to, if you have an affinity for it, one of my friends says the best form of flattery is imitation. Right. So we're not, we're not, uh, well, and not, but but let's as Indian people we're going to get imitated periodically. Now it goes there's, to the next there's something level. more. There's something more to it than that, though. I mean, because there there's yes, also yes, a large segment there, of there, the population that either believes because they spit on a swab or a tube uh, and took an ancestry.com test or something <laughs> yeah, like that that they yeah. that they not only do they, they believe or they see something that the, and of course those tests really can't determine ethnicity or culture or any of that stuff it right. really it, they're There's best no connection at, there they're best at really trying to determine whether you're related to somebody but so that having been said yeah. but we we know that there's a bunch of people who who believe for whatever reason family lore like you said um whatever or they may even be have a little a native ancestry um, so uh, sure, when somebody tells when, when somebody approaches me i take them at their word but then i investigate not to 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 really kind of pin them down but for me, when somebody says that they're part native, you know, obviously the first question that comes up is which part. But 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 then but then it's like, well, who's your yeah? Who's your family? You know, where are you from? You know, yeah. what's your connection? I mean, and you and you find try to find a sense of community and that kind of stuff. But what happens with a lot of people is they want to make that claim so they can go ahead and speak on as if that they are a native voice. And we we see this in yes. the in the mascot yes. debate and that, and that, constantly. That's where we get. That's where we start to get into the the severe danger zone. As as Philip Deloria really lays out in his book, uh, Played Indian, um, he says that there's these uh, there's also it becomes this nefarious and this insidious, um, uh, and and now it's defined as something called settler self indigenization, and that's where you actively engage. You're not just playing Indian anymore. You're not playing cowboys and Indians where somebody's Gary Cooper. And somebody's, uh, you know, somebody's got to play the the ravaging savage natives riding through the plains, war hooping, right? That was that's when we were kids. We'd play somebody had to play the Indian and somebody would play the cowboy, right? Now we're getting to what's what's actually happening, where you're you are grabbing, you are grasping at, and you are acculturating and inventing a reality that doesn't exist, and you're you are doing it in an appropriative uh, manner. To where you're trying to gain access to things like power, money, uh, uh, benefits, special rights, and also the fame and all the other stuff that kind of comes with well, it. And, and voice, and, and voice. Just to be clear, I mean, this voice, is where yeah. again we, you know, and I see this even in the appropriation of our images for for like school mascots. You know, it isn't just that they're Absolutely. that they're using these names. They actually start to claim the identity, so it turns into Absolutely. almost this wholesale identity theft. And and you and I, if we have time at the end, you and I will talk a little bit about Salamanca, but we'll do that at the very end. Because oh, I'd love to, yeah. <laughs> because I mean, I, I guess I want to let's lay it out a little bit. So here's what happened over the last week or so, and it's ironic that it's all breaking, you know, while we're talking about Killers of the Flower Moon and we're and Native American Heritage yeah. Month, but. There's, there's, a, no, there's not a coincidence there, by the way. Yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's a news yeah. network on the Canadian side, uh, Canadian broadcast uh, 
yep. CBC, I guess, CBC. And they have a show called The yep. Fifth Estate. And it's kind of an expose, kind of a magazine thing. And yeah, yeah. And it's, they, like, it's like their version of like uh, 60 Minutes uh, or something edition like that. Or something yeah, like that yeah. Right? So they, they, they basically out um, Buffy St. Marie. For, for those who don't know who Buffy St. Marie is, she's been a very, very prominent performer who has cast herself as a Native person for most of her adult life um, and has used that. To, I mean, she's won awards based on being an Indigenous artist. She's also claimed to be an Indigenous person from the Canadian side, so she's even w- received Canadian awards that would have only gone to to a Canadian. Um, and including, I gotta say this: there's what's the, what's the, the the award? It's the Canadian um, Royal um, Order. Or Can, uh, it's the Ro- Juno Award. No, I'm talking about the, the Juno Award. I'm ta- not, oh, I'm, you mean I'm oh, the Royal yeah, Order of Canada? Like Royal. She's on the royal board of like high level Canadians. No, it's the Royal Order of Canada. It's like it's like the yeah, the presidential like Medal of Honor or something like that. So she so she's even won these awards. Well, and and so this fifth estate program on the the, the Canadian side, they 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 pretty much went and did the the full investigation, and then it included Kim Tallbear being investi- uh, interviewed and uh, Jackie Keeler and and others. Um, and basically, they just really obliterated um, uh, Buffy St. Marie's claim to being Native. And, and, and as it turns out, and this is the part that's kind of absurd, is that her own family, her legitimate family, and she was born in Massachusetts, near, not far from Boston, you know, to, to, you know, to a white family, uh, Italian on father's side, uh, English on her mother's side. And, you know, so... Being Italian, half Italian, she's kind of got some of that darker complexion and some of those Italian features that have been used to play Native people. You know, we have Iron Eyes Cody and others uh, for, for many, many years. Um, and But that's where she grew up. And her own family said, no, she's not Native. Her, her brother, her uncle, I mean, her niece. Uh, these, And it, now even her own son, who is actually a son that she had with her husband at the time, who was Sheldon Wolfchild, who was... Lakota and and is an activist and a filmmaker. Even her own son, whose name is Dakota, basically said, "No, my mother's not native. She's she's only a, she's a native through uh, acculturation, maybe or not, but not through birth." And so she's she built this whole image and an entire career. And it's not to say that she doesn't have talent. I'm not saying that she doesn't. I mean, she won an Oscar for a song that had nothing to do with being native. It was a song she wrote right. uh, for an officer and a gentleman. I mean. So she she clearly a is a, is a talented performer, and you know she's you know some of her music has been covered by by other prominent musicians. So there, there's no question that she's a talented per- performer. But much of her persona has always been based on her pitching pitching herself as a, as a native person. So for all those people who are heartbroken, the story, the or, story is the story is like really really wild. I want to get to the to the wild wild part of it. And this go ahead. Is go how ahead. We how natives start to like look. How do you look around and see if you're encountering somebody who is a settle, performing or practicing or having behavior that's settler self-indigenization, something we call pretendianism? And that is, um, is their story credible within your knowledge of how indigenous peoples recognize each other? And and unfortunately, Buffy, um, you know, Santa Maria does not. Her story doesn't match. She says she's in the, she says she's, uh, this is where it gets really, really dangerous because she starts using 
um, indigenous histories and traumas and incorporate it into herself. And she becomes this, this uh, victim of colonization, this, uh, this entity that now deserves your sympathy. And she's playing on that. She tells this story. And of course, you're going to get up next to her and say, oh, my goodness, I want to listen to your music. Oh, my goodness, I want to, I, you know, where my guilt is here. We can call this, uh, you know, settler guilt or white guilt. And we're, she's, she's knows what that is because she lived it. She knows exactly what that is. She knows how to play it because she comes from those kind of cultures. So what I argue, uh, and I'm doing a bunch of presentations here, what I'm arguing is going beyond Philip Deloria, going beyond kind of Jackie Keeler's kind of understanding is pretendians are so good at that. They actually do it better than natives are because they know how to do it. They know how this works. However, because they know how it works, natives are usually who are who are aware, who know, who who are self-aware of how how uh, how enrollment's done, how the different native native nations work. People like Jackie start to see it because they know they've already talked to people in Six Nations. They already talked to people in Mohawk. They talked to people in in uh, Anishinaabe communities. She's talked to all these different people, and so when they see, they says this in that Fifth Estate film. When she sees it, she just goes, wait a minute, That's that, her story doesn't match my strong understanding of how this actually works. Yeah, but, but Justin, just, so just, let, me, let me slow you down a little bit, because let's be honest here. Yeah. Jackie didn't come to this conclusion um, during much of that conversation that took place in the last 60 years. She only came to the, I mean, she was still promoting people to watch her, the documentary that was done on her fairly recently. So yeah, a no, lot of this stuff absolutely. only started to start, started to stir in people's minds recently. And there've been people for, for decades who have raised this issue, you know, and so uh, there's a certain part of the native population who doesn't, you're right, we're, we're kind of close-lipped. We, we, don't, we don't talk about our trauma. And in fact, that's part of the, uh -huh. one of the problems that we have is because we, we, right. we stew in it, we steep in it. And so when somebody does speak out, that's why so many people, even native and non-native, kind of glommed onto this thing. And she used all of it. I mean, she did the whole, you know, 60s scoop thing, even though she was born in the 40s. She was like 22, 20 years <laughs> yeah, too old to be a part of the 60s scoop. She, she even old. throws in some some uh, uh, sexual and physical abuse issues that may or may not have ever oh, yeah. really happened. I mean, she does it Grandparents all. Grandparents and boarding schools, all that stuff. She she took any story and every story that was out there. I'm surprised she didn't she didn't talk about like fur trappers coming in and uh, you know doing what fur trappers do, or, or throw a little residential <laughs> school in there or something. I don't know. She did. Uh, yeah, she did. She does. <laughs> so. She's she uh, she so she. Uh, she, in a really odd way, um, she's able to really glam onto uh, a generation of indigenous people, uh, and specifically women, because she spoke so powerfully for indigenous women. I don't want to, I don't actually want to take that away. And I want to, I want to segue over from her to someone called Sashin Littlefeather. Yeah, there you go. Right. I don't know if you remember her. So she goes and takes the Oscar for she accepts the Oscar on behalf of um, Marlon, Brando. Marlon Brando. Yeah, actually she right reje the she middle. rejects the Oscar. Just to be clear, she she, yeah, she goes she goes to the podium on his behalf and rejects it on then his she behalf. She speaks about wounded knee, right? She speaks about wounded knee and what's happening at wounded knee. Well, if everybody remembers correctly, wounded knee is happening and nobody's paying attention. There's no media attention there. Nothing's happening. Everybody's uh, everybody's kind of. Uh, you know, not they, it's kind of a uh, just invisible news. And this she is this is this is the siege. At, this is the siege at Wounded Knee, the one that results in Peltier yes. being in prison for you know 
for over, yes. you know, all this, this time. This is huge. There's, so, there's 300 yep. some odd natives there. They're ready to die. They're singing their death songs. They're, they got automatic weapons. They're surrounded by the army and jets are flying over and nobody's paying attention. There's a media blackout. She gets on there, announces this stuff, goes and has a press release afterwards. Marlon Brando backs her up. Pretty soon, the, all the world's press is there. She is saves, I don't know how many lives, thousands of lives, probably, just on her own words. And then we find out 30 years later that she's complete pretendian. She's uh, she's a, she's not native at all. No. Her sister outs her, everybody outs her, and turns out she wasn't native. Yeah. Her, her name wasn't Seishin Little Feather. That was just kind of a name she picked up. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, she and, 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 but, and, and realize that there are people who can do this and actually do some good. I'll, I'll, you know, a guy like War Churchill. He was another guy who was yes. outed. Now, War Churchill wrote yeah. some great stuff. I mean, he did a whole thing oh, on the Angels American Holocaust. And, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But at the end of the day, you still yeah. have these guys and that that use this native uh, nativeness. And, and this includes people like Elizabeth Warren, who, when she was going to school, used that on her resume. And, and the school she that she attended box. used her, you know, check the box, used that on the resume so they could say, uh, de demonstrate their diversity and that kind of stuff. So, uh, well, you know, it's happening today. And you have, you have somebody that, that you're trying to expose yeah, a little so bit me, at, yourself at this story. point. I, I want to, you know, everybody thinks that this is just, oh, this is just these famous people. This is just happening way out there. This is just happening all around the world. But I, when I went to school at Syracuse, we were trying to form a group called the uh, Native American Students at Syracuse. And we went and checked the, um, uh, we got, we got through the, the uh, Office of Multicultural Affairs. They gave us everybody who checked the box at the university. So I went around and I started, there was like a hundred and some odd students uh, that checked the box. I went around and I started knocking on all the doors and the students were like, no, nah, I just checked the box. Like, I'm not really native. And I, I was so like upset. So out of those, we only got like maybe 20 students that were actually native. Everybody else just checked the box to get to the diversity stuff. And well, the, and, 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 to, and to that point, and to that point, uh, and I've mentioned this several times on my show, but I'll mention it since, you, since you're, you're talking about this. In the 2020 census, they yes. determined that there was an increase in those people who claimed to be native from the 2010 uh, census by 87%, which is yes. impossible. It's impossible for a population to grow 87% in, in a decade. But that just gives you an example of how many people will uh, decided that it was fashionable to claim check the box that they that they were native absolutely we're going to deal with all this we're going to deal with all this in a really big way if we don't start heading this off and, it, and this is how it gets played out so students who were uh who were there was it wasn't just students it was a faculty member we i looked on there and it was our faculty advisor had checked the box for native american and we knew that she wasn't so here she is like um getting access to things being on the diversity stuff getting you know running around and in, in you know, the circles with the power elites, or she's a, she's a power elite seeker, right? She isn't someone who's like trying to be Buffy St. Marie. She's trying to get access to power using her diversity checkboxing to get into the room to uh, get more money. Et and this is the big deal in academia. Um, this is a big deal in academia. This is huge. This is going on all the time. There's so many academics that have not only checked the box to get their graduate degrees, get into schools, and they're beating out actual indigenous students. And this is what's this is where it hurts us. We keep telling our kids, oh, get, get a, go get a degree, go do this other stuff. And then they encounter spaces where they're not accepted or they're not put in here. And there's another student there who is not native and they've just checked the box. And that's that's what these people represent. 
and they get these jobs. They get, and most of these, this person's an anthropologist, and uh, I'll announce them this uh, tomorrow at the uh, Indigenous Attractions presentation. But I'm going to announce somebody else because I, I, there's somebody. Who, this person, this other person's retired at Syracuse, and um, but this other person is at a local college, Wells College, and they at the same time that I'm encountering all these other pretendings, also Ward Churchill, by the way. Um, I encountered this professor who announced that they are a Blackfeet descendant and that they they can't make the rolls because of blood quantum, right? And 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 at the time I'm like, oh dang, you know, he tells us this whole story, and his name's uh, his, he's on the alleged pretendian list now. His name's uh, Ernie Olson, and he's he's trying to tell us all this crazy story about, oh man, I, I I'm disenfranchised from my enrollment because of blood quantum. And at the time, I I shake his hand. I'm like, you're my brother. You're like, I, you know, I'm like you. I'm like, hey, you know, dang, don't don't feel bad like that. You're native. I, I recognize you as native. And you know, now he runs the indigenous program. He does all this stuff. He does all these like supposed good deeds. And here he is. He's a pretending at this school. And uh, we go a few years later, and I'm start looking at students of mine are turning in stuff about enrollment at Blackfeet. And I remember this story and I look back and say, well, how does this guy's story match? Cause he's born, he's like Buffy St. Marie. He's saying he's part of the scoop. When, when the time that he was born, you were either black feet or you weren't. So yeah. I got a hold of Jackie and I, I asked her to investigate him and it comes back that he's 100% pure European settler. And not only that, he's his, his grandparents that he said were black feet were actually people who were on the Oregon Trail. So he's like the epitome. They were the, ne the, the nemesis, the nemesis of the, saying, of the Blackfeet. <laughs> yeah, you are the enemies of the Blackfeet. You have stolen their land. You are, you are now occupying and you have had that privilege of having that space. So why would he claim, why would he claim this? Because he went to uh, University of Arizona and he wanted to get into indigenous studies. And his whole goal is to then incorporate and bring in this like indigenous identity. Now, here's where it gets also nefarious because uh, once we start exposing these pretendians, they start going underground. They start eliminating their bios. And that's what this person's done. They've like eliminated their bios. They've eliminated all this other stuff. And, uh, oh, no, it's not me. Uh, I didn't, uh, you know, that's not me. But the problem is there's so many people out there that he's told this story to that he can't tell. He can't come right out and say, well, no, no, that's not me. And so he, he's got to uh, he's got to walk that weird fine line of uh, hopefully everybody just doesn't pay attention. Now, uh, what does Wells College do about this? That's what that's what I'm saying. I'm asking academia saying, what are you doing about this stuff? What is Wells College doing? What is, uh, you know, University of uh, Mich or Minnesota just got rid of their faculty, uh, uh, Professor Nori, who was a, a pure pretending at University of Michigan. I got to say alleged pretending. I'm going to make sure we keep saying that. Um, but they, this person just got exposed uh, last week as well. And, and you know, and this, the uh, investigation has been going on for about two years. Um, so these, these new, these professors, and they're all over the place in academia. This stuff needs to really be looked at from academic uh, perspectives. And how is this hurting Indigenous studies, because all of them are leading Indigenous studies programs. They're speaking on our behalf, John. They're telling other students, I am Indigenous. I give you access to Indigenous things. Listen to me. 
Uh, I am your mentor. I, uh, my voice carries indigenous weight. Here, look at all these indigenous people I'm around. Well, and, 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 and let's, let's, not, let's not ignore the, the profit motive. I mean, look, you're selling books. You're, oh, not, only, you're not only being em employed and being elevated. So, yeah, there's, there's a real greed motive there. So, I mean, and at, at the end of the day, you know, all we can say is that if you're going to make these false claims, you're eventually going to get found out. And so those of you who are doing it, stop. I mean, and, and, and there should be a higher standard for, for these universities who are promoting these guys as, as you know, as native people. And, and when you think about the Royal Order of Canada for bestowing these awards or Juno Awards or any of these organizations that are, that are applauding and you praising the these awards. people, they should have some standards to, for, the, I mean, it, the, it shouldn't just be you self-identifying as native. There should be a, a higher standard than that. And, you know, and, and also rescind the awards. And, and I, absolutely, Andrea I, you know, Smith. Frankly, I think I think Andrea Buffy should, should should have all of her she should have all of her uh, awards and accolades that she's gotten either promoting herself as a Canadian, which that's a whole other issue, or or an Indigenous person. So, and you know, and I understand that this is a problem, but I got to tell you, it isn't just those people who are pretending to be native. You know, I we have another expression. Oh, we use this expression called apples and. And it's it's kind of a derogatory. It's insulting. I mean, and that means that that you are native in appearance, legitimately or otherwise, and and yet you seem to follow, you know, always side with the with the non-natives against us. And we see this in the mascot debate. There's this group calls themselves the Guardians Association, um, and they are they're right. most of them are frauds, but some of them are legitimately native. But they're they're a bunch of you know. Trumpers, uh, right wing, you know, uh, advocates that, you know, you that criticize everything from critical, critical race theory to wokeism and all that other stuff. And they've turned the mascot issue into part of that culture wars. But we see it in every in, in other aspects of life, not just in the mascot debate. So, you know, I think just to kind of wrap this up, uh, because I do want to talk to you about about um, Killers of the Flower Moon. I, you know, I just right. think this is this is a real issue, uh, and there's probably nobody that has been higher profile in terms of being outed, especially after 60 years of doing it, than than Buffy St. Marie. And and you know, let this be a lesson to right. to any of you who are doing this that that you're you're probably not going to be able to maintain this this oh, this route. Here's the lesson: like like uh, it, I am I am teaching and empowering, not not people to go on a on a witch hunt, as you kind of pointed out, but to go on a journey of self-awareness that doesn't allow space for people who are practicing self or, or uh, settler self-indigenization. And if you, if you are practicing that, I, I, you know, if, if, good for you, go ahead, go have fun, but I'm going to have my fun too. And that's what I'm talking about. This is going to be the my turn movement. I'm going to have my fun. And, and if you think that I'm having my fun at your expense, then, then you're wrong because all I'm doing is having my fun uh, in my space. And I just happen to find you in my space. And these aren't and you're in these guys space. aren't victims. Buff, Buffy St. Marie is not a victim here. She, 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 she is not a, my victim. She's, she's in my yeah. space. Yeah. I see her in my space. She doesn't belong there. And therefore, I am going to point out to everyone, why are you in my room? Why are you in here? Why are you taking up all the air? Why are you sucking out my air? And all right, let me let me just take like let me that? let me just take a quick break here. Um, 
I'm John Kane. This is Resistance Radio. My guest is uh, Professor Justin Schaap from St. Bonaventure's University. He is uh, he's uh, he's Seneca. Um, we've known each other for quite some time. That's why we that's why we can talk to each other and over each other so easily. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> we are. Uh, I want to thank WBAI and WPFW for providing me this space and for allowing this conversation to go out over your airwaves. I encourage people to support both WBAI and WPFW. Uh, we are listener-supported radio, so we, re- we rely heavily on your support, on your donations. And look, if you do make a donation in the name of Resistance Radio, uh, that helps me out. It doesn't help me out financially, but it helps me out because it, uh, it certainly makes my, um, it gives importance to, uh, to my being here. And since a lot of what Justin and I are talking about is us having the space for these conversations, for having the space to really advocate for Native people and to and to encourage self-awareness and, and critical thinking. And look, we have identity issues regardless of those identity thieves out there because of 500 years right. of assimilation and indoctrination, residential schools, governmental policies, and all kinds of other stuff. So we're facing a lot of issues. Um, I, want to do, I do want to shift gears here. Um, I read Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI, which is the book by David Grant. I had David on my show uh, when he uh, first was raising, uh, rising up in the, uh, the bestsellers list. Uh, it, and, of course, now it's a film. Um, many Native people are praising the film. Um, you know, are, they're gushing over the film. Some are raising some other issues. First off, let me... Let me you and I haven't talked about this specifically. I think we've seen some posts and that kind of stuff. But I, I want your take on the film versus the book and the story as you know it, which is the story of the mass murders of Osage people who are being murdered for their wealth. Um, if you haven't seen the film, I've talked about it a couple of weeks in a row, so you should know kind of what I'm talking about here. But I, I, Justin, go ahead and give me your take on having seen the film. Yeah, so uh, I want to, my first introduction to the film happens um, in the 90s when the I'm or the, or the a story. student. In the, yeah, this, I'm just saying like the, the, the thematics of the film. Okay, okay. Right? So uh, the story of Osage people. And that's, and it really comes from a guy named uh, John Joseph Matthews who writes a book called uh, uh, Talking to the Moon. It's absolutely beautifully written. It's It's arguably one of the most well, like environmental focused, um, uh, books. And, and you can see why he wrote it because he, he, you see in the film, like the derrigs and the degradation and the spills and all this stuff. And he's talking about, Hey, this, these are great spaces for us. We need to recognize, um, our sacredness to this. And we've kind of, you know, we've kind of, uh, forgotten that in this drive and this push for, uh, the industrial age and, and the uh, resource extraction models that, that really took uh, the world by storm from the you know the 30s all the way up until arguably even today. So he's a huge uh, environmentalist kind of uh, writer who should be, uh, in my opinion, above Thoreau, above Emerson, um, because he's speaking from a more spiritual like essence, um, and it really comes out. It's it's a really powerful piece. So I want to plug that first. And, but then the secondly, um, I happen to uh, take classes with a, with an Osage uh, named Renard Strickland, and he's coming straight from. Uh, he's a law professor. He's uh, passed away now, but he was the dean of all law schools. And he's an Osage, and he's taught tons and tons of uh, lawyers from all different backgrounds. And 
and he comes from this era. Like he, he, and he talked about it like openly. So his, his conversations were, were about killers of the flower moon without like, he's telling those stories um, without having to read the book. And then of course the book comes out and uh, we know this movie's coming out. So I go and grab the book and I read the, read the book. The book is, uh, I, I don't want, are we doing spoilers here? Are we, are we? Yeah, I'm not worried about, spo I'm not worried about spoilers at this point. This is history, right? right? It's supposed to be history, so there, you know, there shouldn't necessarily yeah. be a surprise ending, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, of course, the the author um, is writing from the perspective of non-indigenous peoples, and he's using Osage um, murders as the backdrop to talk about, hey, how did the FBI uh, really understand criminology? Um, what were some of the, the flaws and the issues? With it, and he doesn't really get into the uh, the reasons why there's baked in flaws. Like he doesn't he doesn't do that. Um, and and what I'm talking about is like anti uh, indigenous activities, right? So that the purposeful ways that people have organized themselves to make sure they don't investigate crimes, to make they make sure that it's hard for them to get into indigenous communities. And the good thing about the book is it really breaks down that and says, no, the FBI kind of looked at this and said, this is the way we're going to move forward. And they were highly successful. By the way, having uh, being able to go onto a native territory and prosecute crimes, that was new. That was brand new for the feds. That, was, that wasn't just new for the FBI. It was new across the board. And this is after the Major Crimes Act. This is after they bragged it up about how how they're going to protect natives and, and really do all this stuff. And they were absolutely abysmally failing. And they're abysmally failing with the richest people on the planet. Like the Osage were per capita were by far, they were the Saudis of the era, right? They were just these massive wealthy people. who. And it was across um, the board. There was no hierarchy. All the Osage, you know, um, enjoyed the wealth of this oil revenue Equally, so it wasn't like some, you had some more than others. Now you look at the movie; it it changes the book. The book, the book uh, only talks about the Osage for the first part of the movie. I forget the name of the, the woman who passed away, Lori or something like that, or uh, Lucy. Um, she's murdered, and the book talks about it. And then the book goes right into like the crime analysis after that. It doesn't, it doesn't really go into too much of the Osage after that. A little bit talks a little bit about you know, the Osage as like a, an object as like the, the thematic. Uh, I don't, I don't want to rush you along, but I want to, I want to move from the book to the, yeah. to the film. And, and, and I will yeah. say though, you know, what I'll say about the work that David Grant did here is I, I thought he did a, a great deal of investigation and the last three or four chapters, he goes on to say, how much the FBI didn't investigate. And, and he does speak with the yeah. granddaughter of, 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 you know, Molly Burkhardt and, oh, you know, the, the red clouds and, and, and a few, you know, uh, red corns, I mean, and a few other people and, and finds uh -huh. out that some of these murders took place before the 1920s and they continued after the 1920s, which is, you know, uh, the, the issue that I had with the film and I'll, I'm going to flat out say, say it right out of the gate is I thought the film did much of the same thing the FBI did. It narrowed the focus only on a couple of murders and the ones they could pin to what they thought was going to be one psychopath and maybe his henchman. And that's and that's what the that's what the right. the FBI attempted to do so they could get a quick and easier prosecution. And they ignored hundreds of murders. And frankly, right. I thought the film did the same thing. Right. I, I would agree with that. Um, 
yeah, there's a fair treatment of, you know, when they they went in, even, in the, even the movie doesn't really, it, it tends to link the whole community, but it doesn't do it effectively. You know, the doctors are involved. The doctors are actively murdering people for their heads, for their headleys. For their, and we have, here's so interesting. Killers of the Flower Moon isn't just about the Osage. Killers of the Flower Moon is about our community here in Cataraugus and Allegheny. Absolutely. It's about the communities in Red Lake. It's about the communities all over the place. Shakopee, Metawakerton. We have people who come in our communities and prey on our people at a high level. And we have very little protections, even now. Instead, we're seen as the bad people. We're seen as the ones who who are uh, that scene where the where uh, Lily Gladstone's walking through the train and all these people are staring at her. That's that's our lived experience. That's one of the most powerful scenes I've seen. Well, and I and I like and, it, uh, I, and I I've got to liken that scene. And, and I, you know, one of my buddies, uh, Matt, up here in Cataraugus, yeah, uh, yeah. highlighted that that scene, and I thought it was a powerful scene too. But you know what? I've stood in front of um, in, in, in in a crowd of people at school board meetings on the mascot issue, and I got that exact same kind of stare from people. You know what I mean? This idea that right. the like, who the hell are you? And and you know you have no right here. You have no say here, even though we're talking about native imagery. And so I thought that that scene in the in the film where where the Lily Gladstone character Molly Burkhart is uh, you know, and of course this is all dramatization. L let me be, let me say this out front: the, the the film is made up and it's based on some of some lived experiences and the murders. But every piece of dialogue, every piece of character development. And emotion that you know you see on the face of people, it's it's essentially it's it's being reenacted, it's being fabricated. So, right. you know, and I can really identify with some things like that scene, but much of it, it really starts to focus only on the Leonardo DiCaprio character, and to a lesser extent, but still uh, to a big a big extent, uh, the the um, De Niro character. I thought the near the De Niro character played the villain very well. But I thought there was just way too much sympathy or emotion or conscience provided to the uh, the, the, the DiCaprio character who, you know, they make it sound like yeah, this was so this torn DiCaprio love story. Is, right. So DiCaprio is clearly written for today's audience, right. um, which is supposed to be a more sophisticated, emotionally intelligent, um, et cetera. I don't, I don't think people are going to tolerate the... The uh, you know the John Wayneish kind of machismo toxic masculine kind of character anymore, and I I kind of agree with him. So in many ways he's trying to uh, we can't we can't be as in the courts say we can't be way above the culture and, and disconnect with our audience. So I think Scorsese does well there uh, and writes it for the times. However, I absolutely agree with you. It's not historic. There's no way a DiCaprio character was sitting there decrying his his space. He was there arguably worse then because he's the one perpetrating all this stuff. Somebody might have directed him to it, but he's a rough and tumble uh, army vet, rah, 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 patriot who's ready to kill and maim and murder and do whatever it takes to get his stuff. It is, people aren't necessarily, I find it exceptionally problematic to believe that all these murders are going on and nobody actually knows how to do it. And these guys are the ones perfecting it. These guys are the ones who are out there saying, I'm going to perfect this. And they were so open about it 
And so, and that's why they're able to write about it because these guys were open about it. They were just like, "Yay, we did this!" Right? And, and another thing that's weird about the about the uh, the history part is not only do these guys get away with it for the most part, the ones who got busted and got arrested and thrown in jail, they got out early. They got yeah, out, they got they, they got, got away with it too. And and to be clear, there yeah, may have been there may have been in excess of two hundred of these murders, and 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 that's kind of oh, what the record yeah. shows. And and it may have been it's a genocide. Yeah. And so the fact that only a couple of these murders are prosecuted is, you know, just an example of not only, um, again, the role the FBI was trying to play. It's interesting. The one thing that the film did was you you see the end where they do the radio show kind of uh, promoting the lucky strike hour um, where they promote the the heroic FBI going, you know, saving the day. that was you know, it was a good way to to give a synopsis on on what what t- transpired, but it also gave you this this whole sense of you know yeah you've got the the good cops in Washington who are gonna who are gonna you know enforce justice, which is anything but the truth. So yeah, well, the, here's interesting. You brought up Ward Churchill, right? He's a he's a alleged pretendian. He wrote for Russell Means and for all the leaders of AIM, right? I, I'm, I'm not. I don't think I've outed anything. I think that's yeah, that's, part no, that's, of the that's historical fair. record. I mean, he, he, I mean, John Trudell doesn't really like him, so I, I, <laughs> I I'm a uh, John fan. But uh, so Ward's out there, and he writes a book called Agents of Repression. And what does he write about? He writes about the after effect of the the FBI goes in and saves the Osage, right? That's the story. Yeah. That's not true. They developed these tactics and then used them against the American Indian movement across all these traditional, uh, uh, traditionally focused people, and then used those tactics to undermine them and undercut them and and and, and invent crimes. So while while they don't do anything about the Osage murders, they go after people who are considered political dissidents and use these same kind of tactics against them. So it's amazing how how. Uh, not even 50 years later, the FBI has become so sophisticated that they they implement practices used that they supposedly used to save the Osage and Native peoples, but really used to uh, for uh, devastating effect. Agents of oppression or, or, or repression, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I, the the title suits it, but you know, and and I think people have to remember that we're talking about the 1920s here. You know, the last the last. Yeah. Um, questionable killing the was in point. the 1930s. So this isn't a long time ago. I mean, in, in the overall scheme of things, this isn't, you know, 1700s, yeah. this isn't 1800s. This is the 20th century and, you know, and, and, and a good chunk into it. I mean, and I think people sometimes can look at this history as if it's ancient history. And the, and the, the other thing is the people who made the money, I mean, the oil companies, the, they may, those actual companies may not be, exist, but all of the principals of those companies are still the ones who are the oil magnets today. Yeah, yeah, so. absolutely. Uh, the, the great beneficiaries of the Osage oil boom is not the Osage. I mean, they, they have, they've clearly, you know, lived a, a good series of like, um, nouveau wealth, and they've been able to to. Uh, but I, 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 the reason why I bring this up about Killers of the Flower Moon is this is this is our story for casinos. 
Well, and, and, and I'm glad you said that because, I, you know, I made that, that comparison because we get looked at as if we're, we're somehow getting some ill-gotten gains because we developed right. a, a gaming industry in, uh, in New York and other states that may not have had one. And, and, the, and their justification for being so aggressive towards us. I mean, and, and again, you, you, we get back to this, to, you know, what we talked about in the beginning with, with the, you know, pretendianism and these people who get into these positions that may or may not be native and, and how little changes we look, there's, there's a native woman who sits in a cabinet level position for the Biden administration as the head of the interior department. And for all intents and purposes, she sat on the sidelines while the governor of New York squeezed half a billion dollars out of the Seneca, out of the Seneca people. And, you know, and, yeah, let's, and, and let's so, get right to it. Let's get right to it, John. This is the same thing. It this, is. It is so. It is so wealth. much the same thing. Because you know, this wealth is it's just it. like oil wealth. Who gets most of the money? And and I'm going to tell you, if you yeah, look at the actual it. revenue from Who's the casinos, the, the the state got 2.2 billion dollars, while the Seneca's got 2.4. But here's the thing: out of that 2.4, it all goes immediately right back into the state. So there's no question. Who are the the real beneficiaries of native gaming? And yet we've got to fight to even touch us? the money. Who is who is killing us and who's gonna come and save us? There's no FBI coming to save us from or interior from, department from or anybody else. No. Nope. Casino prey, the casino predators. I call them predators. There's no other there's no other explanation for it. There's well, no and to be clear, to and here's the thing about the property. about the gaming act, the, the the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. We didn't need them to legalize gaming. It was already legal. You know, it, it, we knew exactly. it was legal. The Supreme Court acknowledged that we had the right to do it. They didn't give it to us, but they acknowledged it. So they passed that law to take away from us and to, in a way, create a better mechanism for the non-native um, vendors to have access to us. So they, you know, it could be more clear and, and you know, there wasn't going to be any question about whether our gaming was legal or not. This did more for vendors for, and, and financiers of native gaming than it did for native people. Absolutely. And I, so if you, if you watch Killers of the Flower Moon and you have affinity towards uh, De Niro and DiCaprio, then you are just in love with, um, you know, one, you're, you're probably anti-Indian, anti-native and anti-indigenous. Um, and, and then two, you you are cheering for New York State to 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 continue to do its practices towards us because you may not be, you know, New York State may not be uh, um, going around and murdering us like outright. However, they there's a huge role that they're playing in in those practices. We are it has to do with um, less to do with the individual. And more to do with the nation itself. Absolutely. And with specifically with, and it's not just casinos, it's all of it. But, it but you're, you're also perpetuating poverty. You're also perpetuating so many things that does get clearly go down to the individual level. So as much as it, it is an Absolutely. attack on, on our sovereignty and all that stuff, it is an attack on us individually. Look, we only got a few minutes it's, left. It's, you're, I, you're I, attacking I, the government's ability to provide for its people. You're, if you do that, if you actively engage in that, then you are you are the De Niro's and, and DiCaprio's and the Killers of the Flower Moon. And there's there's no that movie is about us. And, let me uh, let me I, can't stress I, it I, I literally have just minutes left, but I wanted to give you 
I fought like hell, and in fact, I may have play, played the most principal role of any Native person in New York State in getting a statewide ban against the use of Native mascots in high schools. I fought my yeah. high school and, yeah. and you know, pressured. Hey, we're the, there at, I'm there with you at Lancaster. I'm, and, I'm, and you're uh, there with... I'm arguing, I'm fighting. Now, when, yeah. when the, the ban came, the ban came with one exception, and that is if yeah, a I, nation... I for that if a nation <laughs> decides they want to um, allow a school to keep a Native mascot... Then they get to, then they get to keep it. Now there's a school you went to school so I, there. You went to school Salamanca High School, um, and Salamanca has called themselves yeah. the Warriors. They've got a logo that's not actually a warrior; it's actually a chief, which I find problematic. Um, and yeah. they got permission from the Senate Nation. Now about uh, as high as forty percent of the uh, student body are native. Um, it's probably less than yeah, that, 45%. but, but, uh, and, and probably like 45% and, and maybe 30% of them are enrolled Senecas, you know, right. I mean, sure. so, yeah. but so the Seneca president gives permission for the Salamanca and it's the only school in New York state that will maintain a native mascot. I know that I took on some of my, my very, my friends in Salamanca on this issue because they were, many people were in favor of keeping it. Give me your thoughts on ju the justification for keeping it. Not me. So I'll tell you. So you can blame me for the for the uh, carving out the exception because they reached out to us and uh, and I am a I'm a big proponent of indigenous voice, right? And uh, by um, the way, I advocated so, for the exception too, and I was on the indigenous yeah. uh, advisory board. I, I'm saying I I, carved, yeah, so I I advocated for the exception too. I just hope that we weren't going to take it. <laughs> I agree. I didn't think that that was going to happen because I, I thought I truly thought that we were, had moved beyond the uh, the idea that we needed to be mascots. I got I got thirty seconds left for you. Go ahead. Yeah, okay, good. So uh, I'm I'm a hundred percent like against the use of any kind of native imagery in for this purpose. It, it doesn't make any sense, and I would rather have us focus our our attentions on academics and indigenous Absolutely. culture and Absolutely. real stuff, not on not on mockery and. The kind of stuff that is pseudo traditional. Justin, I want to thank you it so much. For, for, I want to thank you for joining yeah. me. I'm, I'm just about out of time. Um, I'll have to have you come back. There's a, there's more issues that we can talk about. Obviously, Seneca gaming issue is going to sure. heat up, and after all, it is our special month. So maybe I'll even get you back sooner than later, and we'll we'll do we'll hit yeah, some more we'll of these subjects I like, again. I like feeling special. Thanks for making me feel special, John. I appreciate it. All man. right, and good luck with you and the program at St. Bonaventures. Uh, it's nice to have uh, such a prominent university in our area. And hopefully they uh, they do right by you know not just the native kids but uh, teaching so much you know that that impacts us so uh, I appreciate it. Uh, look that that about wraps it up. This uh, I'm John Kane. This is Resistance Radio, and I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to remind you that we are listener supported radio. Do support WBAI and WPFW, and uh, you know make sure that you do right by by these stations and 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 award reward them for providing the platform. We can talk about land back. We can talk about all kinds of you know, reconciliation. But if we don't get restoration of space in the conversation, a seat at the table, then it's hard to have any of these other things that, uh, get accomplished. So I, you know, I ask you, the listener, native or non-native, please support WBAI and WPFW and let them know that you support them because you listen to Resistance Radio with John Kane. I want to thank you for, for, for joining me, and we'll see you next week. Yahweh.